From Hyatt Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Justin Higginbottom. It's Thursday, December 8th. Inflation in this country reached a 40-year record this year, hitting consumer products like gas and groceries hard. And food banks across the country report a growing demand for food-related assistance. Molly Marcello reports from one local pantry serving the Moab community. About 20 cars are queued up outside St. Francis Episcopal Church on Cane Creek Boulevard. It's a Friday afternoon, and each vehicle moves steadily to the front of the church, where volunteers are buzzing around. And right now, Kenyon is getting how many people they're picking up for, and then it goes to uh, our priest, Father Dave, and he's putting grocery bags of food in the back seat or in the back end of the pickup. That's Phil Irby, who was working this line until I asked him to describe how this weekly food pantry operation works. The church just got more supplies from the Utah Food Bank, so the bags today are pretty full. Uh, Today we have pork roasts and eggs and potatoes and apples and uh, dishwasher detergent, croissants that are frozen and have to be cooked. It's just whatever we can whatever comes around. St. Francis has run this pantry for over three years now, and Irby says they serve between 800 to 1,000 people a month. The food is meant to help supplement a week's worth of supplies, free up some finances so locals can use it for other needs, like more groceries, rent, or other things. There was a lady who came in and she said, uh, I can't afford groceries, but what you're doing is helping us out, and now I'm able to be able to let my kids participate in sports activities so I can pay the fees so that they can do sports. Dave Sackerson, the priest in charge at St. Francis. People will still know him as Mayor Dave, a position he served in for, as he says, 16 glorious years. But even before his mayoral tenure, Sackerson started out in the grocery business. I know what things cost and everything else, and I can't believe how much food is right now. According to the Consumer Price Index, basics like eggs, potatoes, fruit, and veggies have risen well over 10% since last year. Jeanette Bott is the CEO of Utah Food Bank. She told the Public News Service this fall that people are turning to food pantries for the first time in their lives. Now we're seeing people that are coming to us for need for food who, one, have never asked before, two, have jobs and are pretty stable. And three, the inflation now is the issue that seems to be impacting those families they've never had to help before. The Utah Food Bank drops supplies to St. Francis every month. Last year, that amounted to 100,000 pounds of food for the pantry. But it's still not enough to run the program week to week. I've got 75 pounds of hamburger in the back of my truck right now that I just bought today. Sackerson says they do receive help beyond the Utah Food Bank. They get donations and volunteers from other local faith groups and community organizations. And there's always the oddball giver out there. It really touches my heart. I mean, some guy walked in here yesterday, slapped a bunch of money in my hand. He says, put it to good use. And I'd never seen the guy before in my life. I mean, it's just absolutely phenomenal. I, I just think people, people see a need. People see a need. And uh, hopefully we're filling some of that need. Well... We're a community of 5,000, and we're putting food out for 1,000 people a month. Phil Irby again. As we speak, the line of cars has thinned out a bit. The big first-hour rush is over, 
but people are still queuing up to grab food bags. This is, this is a community that has lots and lots of service jobs, cleaning bathrooms and changing sheets and in the back cooking hamburgers and all of that kind of stuff. We're going into the winter when people are getting laid off or getting a half time. So, yeah, there's, there's ongoing need for this. The food pantry at the Episcopal Church of St. Francis is open every Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. No questions asked. People can walk, bike, or drive up. If you're hungry, they say, just come. And the Grand County Food Bank is also available locally. That's run through the Southeast Utah Association of Local Governments on Tuesdays and Thursdays. For KZMU News, I'm Molly Marcello. Winter is certainly upon us, but there's a lot that has to happen before the snow really starts piling up. For the White River National Forest in Summit County on Colorado's western slope, one important item to check off its to-do list is a logging project. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Aspen Public Radio's Caroline Giannis went out to see the project in October and learned a little bit about what kinds of impacts these projects have. That's the sound of a tree falling in the White River National Forest. If you've driven up the frying pan towards Lyle Lake recently, you've probably noticed a big patch of land with no trees. It's pretty stark in contrast with the sprawling stands of lodgepole pines that make up much of the upper frying pan. It's very dramatic to look at, and not in a good way. Aspen Sopras District Ranger Kevin Warner acknowledges that it's a pretty in-your-face thing to see, and will be for quite some time. If I drive my kids up here on our next time going up to Lyle Lake, they're going to ask me, Dad, why the hell did they do that? Why did you do that? You know, because it looks, it looks different. The lodge poles that used to be there were over a century old. And Warner says that's not necessarily a good thing. The intent from the Forest Service really is to regenerate a younger forest in this 40 acres uh, that complements the, uh, the surrounding forest around us. In order to be resilient to all kinds of situations, Warner says forests should be diverse, particularly in terms of age. By having a variety of ages in a forest, different trees will be more or less resilient to things that happen, like disease, invasive beetle infestations, and wildfires. For example, certain beetles could prefer older trees, but younger trees are more likely to burn hot in a wildfire. Having a mix of young and old trees allows the whole forest ecosystem to recover when one of these events occurs. The goal on this project is to clear-cut about 40 acres of lodgepole pine, and it requires relatively few personnel. For the felling stage, just one man in the cab of a machine called a feller buncher. When the lodgepoles are felled, the reseeding process begins almost immediately, according to Chris McDonald, a forester with the White River National Forest. After they drop the trees, there should be enough of the, the cones that fall off and remain in place. And then the summer heat and sunshine will open the cones, releasing the seed. But it's a long process. It'll take about four years to see any real growth from saplings and decades for mature trees. Be, this will look like a sea of Christmas trees in 10 to 30 years, basically. And then after that, they'll, they'll take off and grow larger in the full-size trees. And then how, how many years does it take for a fully grown lodgepole pine? They're mature 80 to 120 years for, for lodgepole. Um, they're one of our shorter-lived trees. Um, aspen are much like that as well. Our spruce fir can go three to 500 years. 
And when you have a very old stand of lodgepole pines, they get really dense, as Warner points out. As you can see, there is very little sunlight getting to the floor of this forest because they're packed in really tight. That kind of density almost creates a desert in the understory, with very little sunlight getting through and very few species adapted to these conditions. By clearing out the older trees, Warner says it allows for younger trees, as well as different species, like aspens, to move in and create more diversity. And it benefits those understory residents as well. Snowshoe hare uh, rely on needles for their, uh, for their food source, and so what they really like to see is a varied height of trees, of smaller, younger trees, that they can still get to those, the needles at different heights of snow as the, as the winter progresses. You might ask, why not a prescribed burn? That's something the Forest Service has done here in our valley in the past, with benefits to forest health, including revegetation. But in this area of the forest, about 10,000 feet in elevation, there are challenges with prescribed burns. Warner says that prior to such a fire, they'd need to bring in a bulldozer or a piece of equipment called a masticator to create very strong fire lines to prevent the prescribed burn from spreading. And even then, you would have to be operating within some extremely tight weather windows that would allow for the fire to actually do the work that it needs to do in here and not then transport into the areas that we were not It'd be a tough one. There's also the added benefit of what happens to the trees once they're felled. A piece of equipment called a skitter drags the trees over to a huge wood chipper, and they're ground up into small pieces, probably about three to four inches a piece, a fairly fine grind. Semis come and pick up the wood chips and take them to the biomass plant in gypsum, where they're turned into steam power for Holy Cross energy. Power that comes from these wood chips counts towards Holy Cross's goal to get 100% of its electricity from renewable sources by 2030. Warner says one of the hardest parts of his job is conveying to the public all these benefits of this project, especially when in its beginning stages, it's not a pretty picture. But it's kind of like, you know, a remodel of your kitchen. You got to get a little messy to get that really nice product at the end. And so, you know, that's that's kind of the situation we're in right now. This is the messy phase. If all goes to plan, all wood products will be removed from the site in the next couple of weeks. And over the next century, instead of a kitchen, we'll have beautiful stands of lodgepole pines up the frying pan with trees of all different ages. For Aspen Public Radio News, I'm Caroline Yanez. That story from Aspen Public Radio was shared with us via Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico, including KZMU. And that's the KZMU News for Thursday, December 8th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.